that two years ago, Humphreys said to me, God will use our church to do a festival for 10,000 young people. Today, I am here to testify to you that Humphreys' declaration of faith made a year ago has inspired me and his leadership with this festival has inspired me. Because today I'm here to tell you that God can use your faith to inspire others. Who was at a Fulu festival on Thursday? Can I hear a yeah if you were at a Fulu festival? Yeah. Cool. So if you're not aware, a Fulu festival is an event, one of the key events that Flood Church run every year. Um, the idea of it is that it is a gift we offer to the young people of Lilongwe to join us to celebrate culture and creativity. Now, we do this on July 6th because that is Malawi's Independence Day. For the non-Chichewa speakers, such as myself, Ofulu means freedom. So we gather to celebrate our freedom, that we in Malawi have freedom, and that because of Jesus Christ, we have freedom. Amen? So this festival started four years ago. Um, the leadership team of Flood took their first step of faith four years ago and started in the city mall car park with around 250 young people and a small stage. You can see on the slide I've put the posters from the last three years. Um, the idea at this point was born from the realisation that when we celebrate culture and creativity, we see the glory of God because it is God who created our culture. It is God who created our creativity so we can celebrate these things. It was also a strategic move because our mission here at Flood is bringing upcoming generations to Christ for transformation. And we thought what a better way than to gather young people that we can connect with them, that we can celebrate what is meaningful to them with them and work towards this goal with God. So in 2015 and 16, we moved to Mboe, which is just uh, past City Mall. It's commonly known as the drinking place. So immediately you're like, so the church did a festival in the drinking place. Again, it was a step of faith um, to use this public space to do a festival for young people. And we saw God's glory revealed there. Um, we saw, for those who might remember, Pastor Sean standing on stage rapping in front of hundreds of people with DJ Carly. We saw some amazing artists come. And then this year came. We decided to take a bigger step of faith and we set out with a vision to book and fill the Sivo Stadium, which is just behind us here. We, we endeavoured to find artists and creative people who could reveal God's glory through music, through dance, through poetry, through singing, through preparing food, through all forms of creativity. Now, in faith, our vision for having more than 10,000 people at this festival, we did not budget for this festival. We decided that we would trust God for the people of Lilongwe to serve the people of Lilongwe. We did book Sivo Stadium, but in faith that the government wouldn't initiate a last-minute event and have us booted out. And then we invited artists. We invited artists from all across the country, artists that you would have heard of, and if you saw the posters, 
there were some pretty special names there. But we didn't offer those artists any form of payment. We offered them the opportunity to serve the young people of their country and they said yes. And then we began inviting young people. So on Thursday it happened. We started at, uh, what time did the race start? 7.15 a.m. with a bike race and we finished at 6.10 p.m. with Guamba playing to a massive crowd. We brought lots of young people came. You can see in the pictures, yeah? People came. But it wasn't only because people came that we knew God was using our faith. It was because we saw God's glory revealed. And some of the ways, and I'm sure those who are there can list many more, some of the ways I saw God glory, God's glory revealed is in, first, the Salama dance crew. I don't know if you've heard of these guys. They're from Zeleka refugee camp, and their dance moves are crazy. There was flipping in the air. There was flipping off the stage. There was flipping onto the stage. There was, like, ballroom dancing, then mixed with, like, some kind of African stuff. It was amazing, and I saw God's glory that he created their capacity. He created their creativity. Robert Chiwamba, do we know? Yeah? got up on stage and we saw God's glory revealed in his use of words as he had people responding. We saw God's glory revealed in a number of amazing artists who I can confidently say every one of them killed it on stage. They were incredible. We saw God's glory revealed in a children's area where children colored in about Ofulu, where children came and played with each other. We saw God's glory revealed as uh, people set up food stalls, many from our church, and fed hundreds of people and did so well. We saw God's glory revealed as people participated in the bike race, the fun run, and the walk that we initiated to raise money for the Let Girls Be Girls campaign we do here and saw over 100,000 kwacha raised. And then we saw God's glory revealed when Pastor Sean stood up and invited the thousands of young people there to stand together in a moment of silence to mourn the tragedy that happened on Thursday morning at the Bingu Stadium where eight young people were trampled in a stampede. And it was beautiful to see as all the young people stood and mourned together that tragedy. We saw God's glory revealed at the Ufulu Festival. So I want to extend, following that, two invitations to you as well. Sean, as part of the, um, his word on Thursday, invited people to respond to that tragedy by, um, we are accepting donations that will be presented to the bereaved families. So we're extending that invitation to you as well. If you would like to give towards that, there will be somebody at the information desk ready to collect your donation, which will be presented to those families. Furthermore, we want to continue to extend the invitation to be giving towards the Let Girls Be Girls campaign that we do here at Flood, uh, where we are supporting girls to be able to access education at the Girls Shine School. Again, if this is something you're interested in giving towards, you can either pick up a flyer that's on the information desk about different strategies we have for this, or you can give donations to the information desk. But from here, I wanted to extend a thank you today. I wanted to thank the volunteers and the key leaders, some of whom served for 10 straight hours on Thursday. No breaks, they kept going. And they, I want to thank them because they revealed God's glory in their diligent service. 
the festival wouldn't have happened without you. So thank you, volunteers. I want to thank the individuals and the organisations from this stage who gave towards the festival to make it financially possible. They revealed God's glory in their generosity. And now I would like to ask you to join me in thanking God that he used our church to facilitate an event that could show his glory to over 10,000 people in this city. So will you bow with me and pray? God, we just want to bring you praise and honour for the privilege we have of being your ambassadors. And God, uh, our heart breaks when we hear of things like the tragedy on Thursday. Um, Our heart breaks for the poverty and the struggles that young people have in this city. Lord, our heart even breaks to think of the statistics that over 80% of this country are aged beneath 35. But God, we praise you, for you are bigger than what breaks our heart, and you are more glorious than the best thing we can do, and you use us. Lord, we pray that uh, we praise you for what happened at Ufulu Festival on Thursday, and we just pray that the impact of that festival will be widespread. That people will have glimpsed your glory and that they will seek you, they will hunger for you, they will find themselves in communities of people who are seeking your truth, and they will know you. God, we also ask as we open the word today that you would teach us how to be better ambassadors, how we can be faithful, that you can use our faith to inspire others. Amen. So here at Flood, we do a kids' church. Um, So I want to invite, if you're a child between three and ten years of age, to come up the front now. But I'm going to ask you, instead of coming right to the stage, we're actually all going to watch a film together. Um, our Bible reading is in video form for us to all enjoy. So if the kids can come up and just stand in front of the screen, we're going to all watch it together, okay? A Hall of Fame is a place that honors people that are exceptional at what they do. It exists to remind future generations of the greatness of these people from the past. Did you know that God has a Hall of Fame? to remember the extraordinary people of faith who were written about in the Old Testament. And we can find that Hall of Fame in the New Testament of the Bible. Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. This faith is what gave people in the old days great fame. This faith is what puts them in God's Hall of Fame. By faith, Abel gave his best to God. By faith, Enoch walked with God and was a friend of God. By faith, Noah listened to God, obeyed God, trusted God, and did what's right. It was by faith that Abraham followed God and that even Sarah, Abraham's wife, believed that God would keep his promise. It was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons, Jacob and Esau, And by faith, Jacob blessed his sons and worshipped God. By faith, Joseph believed that God would guide him and see him through every troubled time. By faith, Moses looked forward to the great reward that God had in store for him, 
and led the people of Israel out of captivity. It was by faith that Rahab was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God. And it was by faith that Joshua led the people of Israel. All of these people became famous for their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God has planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So since God has given us his hall of fame of people who have gone before us and had great faith despite hard times, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who makes our faith perfect, so that one day God may say, well done, good and faithful servant, and we may be initiated into his great hall of fame. Amen. That is our New Testament reading for today. And I will welcome all the kids to go out with their leaders to their kids' church. Have fun, guys. Now I would like to invite you to stand for our Old Testament reading. Today we are reading 1 Samuel 14, 1 to 45. One day Jonathan said to Jonathan, son of Saul said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah, under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was the son of Ichabod's brother Ahitub, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Senna. One cliff stood to the north towards Michmash, the other to the south towards Geber. Jonathan said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor-bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on then, we will cross over towards them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up, because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them to the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor-bearer followed and killed behind him. 
In that first attack, Jonathan and his armour bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and the field and those in the outposts and raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Saul's lookouts in Gibeah and Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions. Then Saul said to the men who were with him, muster the forces and see who has left us. When they did, it was Jonathan and his armor bearer who were not there. Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God. At that time, it was with the Israelites. While Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the Philistine camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. Those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines and had gone up with them to their camp went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel and the battle moved beyond Beth-Avon. Now, the Israelites were in distress that day. Because Saul had bound the people under an oath, saying, Cursed be anyone who eats the food before evening comes, before I have avenged myself on my enemies. So none of the troops tasted food. The entire army entered the woods, and there was honey on the ground. When they went into the woods, they saw the honey oozing out, yet no one put his hand to mouth because they feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard that his father had bound the people with the oath, so he reached out the end of his staff that was in his hand. He dipped it into the honeycomb. He raised it to his mouth, and his eyes brightened. Then one of the soldiers told him, Your father bound the army under a strict oath, saying, Cursed be anyone who eats food today. And that is why the men are faint. Jonathan said, my father has made trouble for the country. See how my eyes brightened when I tasted a little of this honey? How much better it would have been if the men had, take, had eaten today with some of the plunder they took from their enemies. Would not the slaughter of the Philistines have been even greater? That day, after the Israelites had struck down the Philistines from Michmash to Ahijalon, they were exhausted. They pounced on the plunder and taking it, sheep, cattle and calves, they butchered them on the ground and ate them together with the blood. Then someone said to Saul, look, the men are sinning against the Lord by eating the meat that has blood in it. You have broken faith, he said. Roll a large stone over here at once. Then he said, go out among the people and tell them. Each of you bring me your cattle and sheep and slaughter them here and eat them. Do not sin against the Lord by eating meat with blood still in it. So everyone brought his ox that night and slaughtered it there. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first time he had done this. Saul said, let us go down and pursue the Philistines by night and plunder them till dawn and let us leave not one of them alive. Do whatever seems best to you, they replied. But the priest said, let us inquire of God here. So Saul asked God, shall I go down and pursue the Philistines? Will you give them into Israel's hand? 
But God did not answer him that day. Saul therefore said, Come here, all you who are leaders of the army, and let us find what sin has been committed today, as surely as the Lord who rescues Israel lives. Even if the guilt lies with my son Jonathan, he must die. But none of them said a word. Then Saul said to the Israelites, You stand over there. I and Jonathan, my son, will stand over here. Do whatever seems best to you, they replied. Then Saul prayed to the Lord, the God of Israel, and said, Why have you not answered your servant today? Is it the fault of me or my son Jonathan? Respond with Urim, but if the men are at fault, men of Israel are at fault, respond with human. Jonathan and Saul were taken by lot, and the men were cleared. Saul said, Cast the lot between me and Jonathan, my son. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. So Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the end of my staff, and now I must die. Saul said, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely if you do not die, Jonathan. But the men said to Saul, Should Jonathan die? He who has brought about this great deliverance in Israel. Never. As surely as the Lord lives, not a hair on his head will fall to the ground. For he did this today with God's help. So the men rescued Jonathan and he was not put to death. This is the word of the Lord. You may take your seat. So as I said earlier, we are in a series here at Flood at the moment that is called God Can. Today we are looking at how God can use your faith to inspire others. So we have worked up to chapter 14. We do alternating chapters in growth groups, which are our weekly Bible study meetings and Sunday mornings. So if you're not in a growth group and you did not read chapter 13, I want to give you a quick recap. In chapter 13, the Israelites find themselves in quite a desperate situation. Um, Saul, who is their leader, has taken actions which, has, which have uh, distanced him from God. And kind of as a result of that, the Israelites find themselves in this desperate situation. Actually, chapter 13 says, apart from Jonathan and Saul, not a single soldier had a weapon. It said that they were sharpening garden tools as their weapons and they were hiding in holes on the hillside. So this is a desperate situation. Um, Yet what we see in this story is God used Jonathan as a man of faith to free and liberate the Israelites. And I do believe that God can use our faith to liberate other people, to inspire other people. And I told you the story of a Fulu festival because I believe that God has used the faith of flood leaders and flood members to inspire others through revealing his glory in the Fulu festival. But what I want to talk about today is that there is something that we see in this story that I think looks like faith, but is not. And I'm going to call that thing presumption. Actually, presumption is is defined as something unproven that is taken as truth. Which is interesting because if you compare that to the idea of faith, 
which you heard if you were really focused in that video, uh, which is Hebrews 11. Faith is the idea of confidence and assurance in the unseen. These things seem similar at first sight, but as I'm going to talk about today, faith and presumption look very different in action. And actually we see through this story, Jonathan is a great example of faith and Saul is a great example of presumption. So I want to liken faith today to a table. Hopefully you can see the picture of the table here. Now, if you ever come, I'm on the staff team at Flood. We have an office at African Bible College. If you have ever been to our office, you will see in the middle of our office is a round table that has four legs. What you're most likely not aware of is that one of those legs is broken and the table is just propped up on it. If that leg is touched in the wrong way, that whole table comes tumbling down. We have gained mastery as the, the staff in the office of how to not knock that table down. We have tried fixing it and we've just failed, so we just learn now. But actually, the reason it's important and the reason I tell you that is because we know with a table, it takes four legs to make the table stable. If you take out one of those legs, as we occasionally do in the office, the table is no longer stable. And actually, I want to talk about faith, I believe, has four elements. And all four of those are necessary for our faith to stand but also, a table has a top. And if you take the top off of a table, it doesn't have function. I don't know if you've ever tried to eat your dinner on just your table legs, like you're balancing your plate on that little end bit. It doesn't work, okay? The top of the table is the part that makes it functional. So I'm going to finish by talking about what I think the top of the table of our faith must be. But firstly, let me talk about the, fir the four legs. The first leg of the table of faith that inspires is being active. So if we look at this story, Jonathan believed that God had already done something, right? He said God has given them into our hands. Then he said, let's go over there. And then it says he climbed on his hands and feet. It said he climbed on his hands and feet up a cliff which is really in contrast to what we know about Saul from this story, who was sitting in comfort under a pomegranate tree. So I believe that faith requires action. Faith says, I will do something because God has done something. But actually, presumption says God will do something, so I will do nothing. The example I have of this is anybody who is a student or has been a student will know you must actively study if you are to pass your exams. You can hear stories of people who just prayed, but I promise you, they're not the truth. God has given you an opportunity to study. Now it's your turn to be active in actually studying. And then you can pass. If you sit and wait passively and say, I can watch the television all day long, and then when the exam comes, I trust the Lord to pass, you will be disappointed. The second leg that faith stands on is selflessness. So not only does faith require action, it requires selfless action. If we look in this story, we see Jonathan took selfless action. It says that he didn't tell people he was leaving. Conversely, he did not go out and say, okay guys, 
I'm going to go save us all now. Is everybody looking at me? Is everybody looking at me? I'm going to go save people now. He didn't do that. He went quietly. Faith says, I will take action to bring God glory. Whereas Saul actually stated when we look in verse 24, I will avenge myself on my enemy. He was speaking this publicly. What we see in Saul's heart there was personal ambition for selfish gain. Presumption says, I will take action that will make me popular. And actually, to go on with my example before, if you are studying, even if you are being active and not being passive and waiting for God for you to pass, if you are studying simply so that you can be the top, simply so that you can be the best, then you, have, then you are not studying in faith. You are studying to feed your ego and your table of faith will be wobbly because your legs are not standing firm. The third leg of the table of faith that inspires others is expectation of God's movement. So if we look in this passage, Jonathan said, let's go over. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. He looked for God's sign. And then when the Israelites come, we'll give you a taste. What does they say? We'll give you a taste of what you're looking for. We'll teach you a lesson. They said, he said, this is a sign from God. We must go. So faith is expectant of God's movement. Faith says, I will take selfless action because I believe God will come and do something bigger. Which in contrast, presumption is reactive to a situation. So we see here in the story, Saul called on the ark, which was a great move. He called on Ahijah who was wearing the ephod. So when a prophet was wearing the ephod, this meant that they were ready to hear from God. When you call on the ark, the ark was the presence of God. This was Saul saying, God, tell me what to do. So Saul's first move was right to seek on God. But then the story tells us the noise of the battle grew louder. And Saul said to Ahijah, withdraw your hand. Saul did not wait to hear on the Lord. He did not wait for the direction of the Lord. He responded to the noise of the battle. Presumption is reactive to the situation. Presumption says, all I can see is the problem. And so I will act on that. The fourth leg of the table of faith that inspires others, I believe is respect of God's authority. So if we look in this story, Jonathan said before going to battle, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Firstly, he was being active. Secondly, he wasn't saying nothing can, nothing can hinder me. He knew he was limited. He was being selfless in his act and he knew that it was within the Lord's authority to save. And he believed that the Lord would use that authority. Faith says, I will take selfless action 
in service, but God will lead. In contrast, presumption trespasses on God's authority. And I think we see Saul doing this over and over. Not only did Saul first call on the Lord, but then not wait to hear from the Lord which I don't know if you've ever been there. I'm sure any parent knows this when they say, mum, 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 come, 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 mum, mum, mum. No, don't worry, it doesn't matter. It's annoying, hey? It's disrespectful. If you call on somebody, you wait to hear from them. Not only has Saul done that, Saul goes on to make this very strange oath that nobody should eat. And it is really strange, and I thought about it in terms of the Ufulu festival where we asked people to serve all day long. They were standing. They needed to be fed, hey? You can't ask people to go into battle not being fed. They'll be weak. So first he claims this right to curse people, which is not within his right. He claims the right to deny others for his own ego of their right to eat. And then when Jonathan breaks that oath... Saul claimed the right to punish. And that was not within his authority. Saul trespassed on the authority of God, and I believe that that is a sign of presumption. And presumption says, I will take actions that I have determined. So I want you to think about these four legs of the table that hold up faith, that inspires others. And I'm going to give you just a moment to think about the things you hope for in your life. This might be your home life, your romantic life, your social life, or your professional life. And I want to ask you, in your actions, are you being faithful? Are you being selflessly active? Are you respecting God's authority? And are you expecting God to move beyond what you do? Because three legs, as we know in the office well, three legs do not make a table stable and strong. It requires all four legs. But then I want to talk about the top of the table. So Humphreys and I in our house have this massive, beautiful wooden dining table that we inherited from the Jansen family, for those who know the Jansen family, who brought it 17 years earlier than giving it to us here to Malawi. It is a well-loved table. Not only has it been with the Jansons for many years, it's now moved house a significant number of times. Sometimes it's moved house in comfortable trucks and other times it's moved house in less comfortable situations. You can tell that this table is well-loved. But you can tell it's well-loved, not because you look at the detail of the legs, but because you notice the surface on the top of the table. And I want to talk about the top of the table now because I think it's the thing that is most fundamental about the table. It is what makes the table functional and it is what other people see when they look at your faith. And I think the top of the table of faith that inspires is a focus on God's greatness rather than the greatness of the outcome. A focus on God's greatness rather than the greatness of the outcome. So let me explain this to you by going back to Hebrews 11.36, which says, Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. So for years I was confused about this, right? 
This comes at the end of listing what that video called the Hall of Fame. These people who did amazing things. And I was like, look, you can see their faith. Because Abraham followed God and now his descendants are as numerous as the stars. Moses left in faith his comfortable life. But then he freed the Israelite people. But then it says that other people in faith were stoned, were sawn in two. It doesn't even mention their names. They're given no glory. They're given no, they're not listed the impact of their lives. It does not look at the greatness of their outcomes of their lives. And yet in verse 39, it says they were commended for their faith, but they didn't receive what was promised. And I will confess that I in my life have fallen into the trap of presumption of measuring faith too much by the greatness of outcome. In Hebrews, we see that some lives of faith had huge earthly impact. Other people lived faith, accepted death, and we do not know their names, yet they are commended for their faith and we are inspired by them. Somebody who has inspired me for many years, and I don't know if you will have heard of him, is a man named Jim Elliott, who was a missionary in uh, Ecuador, in South America. He died at 29. He and a group of four friends were reaching an unreached people group uh, who, to deliver the gospel, but also because I only learned this recently, there was mining action that was going to significantly impact these people and they wanted to empower them in decision-making. So with great, great respect, these men went in. They were active. They were selfless. They were expectant of God and they were respectful and they were killed by the people they were reaching out to on their second visit. Uh, Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, has gone on to write his journals into books, and they're beautiful books. Actually, Jim Elliott penned a famous phrase that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. As I think about Jim Elliott's life, he has been somebody who has inspired me significantly, but he did not set out to inspire me. He did not set out to write great books. He did not set out to have great outcomes of his impact here on earth. He did not set out to be an inspiration for future generations or to make his family an inspiration. His life was dedicated to a focus on the greatness of God. He knew God was great and he knew that these people needed God and he knew that he must do anything. He must take selfless action to serve this great God. So the reason I shared about Ofulu before as I did is that I wanted you to know that our focus is on the greatness of God. My prayer and challenge to us today as we do things like Ofulu Festival is that we never use these things to make a name for ourselves. My prayer is that nobody left Ofulu Festival saying, wow, Flood Church is the greatest church ever. My prayer is that they left saying, how great is our God who created dance moves like that, who gifted musicians like that who gave me friends like that. And I challenge you as we as a community celebrate what God is doing, let us never fall into the trap of focusing on the outcome. It is not great based on the number of people who come. It is great because we glimpse God's greatness and God's glory. 
In this passage, we can see that Jonathan had his focus on God's greatness and he trusted God. His focus was not on the problem, it was on God. He took selfless action, he respected God's authority and he expected God to move. And God used him to bring freedom to the Israelites. God used him to inspire the others. Whereas Saul was focused on the problem and Saul was focused on the outcome. There are three occasions in this passage where Saul mentions vengeance. Saul mentions victory. This was Saul's focus. He wanted vengeance. He wanted to destroy those people. He wanted to punish them for what they'd done. And Saul used that, A, as an excuse to be passive, and then he tried to use God as a tool or a magic wand to bring him vengeance. And now I have lived here in Malawi nearly four years, and I know that it's easy to do this for us as well. It's very easy to be caught up focusing on the problems. It's easy to see that, only see the hunger or the corruption or the abuse of children or the vulnerable girls. It's easy to see the destruction of the environment. It's easy when we hear horrible stories like Thursday morning when children were trampled to focus on the problems. Why does that happen? But if we focus on that, we miss that God is greater. It's also a trap here that's easy of hearing others' outcomes. And I know of amazing individuals and amazing organisations here who do incredible things through faith. But I also know of organisations and individuals that support or feed or care or serve other people and do have amazing outcomes. They do it across thousands of people, across dozens of regions with amazing budgets. And I have seen those people in those organisations and I've said, you know what I want? That. I want to have an annual report that looks like that. I want to be able to list the amazing things I'm doing and this is coveting. This is wanting what somebody else has and it's wrong. I also have been challenged to realise that it, it's possible that, all, that we, organisations and individuals, can have amazing looking outcomes, can be doing incredible things, but they can have nothing but table legs. It can be huge actions, but all they might be doing is propping up people because they are not giving a tabletop for people to stand on, which is the greatness of God. The only solution to problems we have that is a stable ground is the greatness and the salvation of our God. So I want to challenge you today, knowing that to use your selfless actions, to respect God's authority, to expect his miracles so that God can use your faith to inspire others. <coughs> so that passage before in the video was Hebrews 11. <coughs> Hebrews 12 then goes on to say, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off what hinders and the sin that easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to challenge and encourage you that if you've fallen into the trap of presumption, if the table of your faith has wobbled or lacked a top, and if you have struggled 
by focusing on the greatness of outcomes rather than the greatness of God, we have one way that God has given us that ensures that we can focus on the greatness of God. God has made it easier for us to focus on him by giving us Jesus. Jesus is the perfect example of active, selfless faith. He is the perfect example of respect of God's authority and he is the perfect example of somebody who expected God to do more. The outcome of Jesus' life was death, a shameful and torturous death. But God came through. God delivered Jesus and in doing so he delivered all of us. And everything Jesus did, everything, he did for the greatness of the glory of God.